Would you open a Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? If we were walking through a giant library, the library of God's Word, we would need to find the volume labeled 1 Peter. And I invite you to open with me back to chapter 2. That will be our text this evening. And you need to have it open or on and ready to read along with us. What a beautiful beautiful, beautiful day we have been blessed with. We have so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for you and the way that you have sung to each other and to our Father in heaven throughout the day. It has been encouraging for me to be here and I hope that already you have been encouraged even this evening. We are looking here in recent weeks Through the lens of our theme for the year, I am His and He is mine. In many ways, it seems like just maybe a few months ago that we introduced that theme and here we are nearly halfway through the next to last month of the entire year. But it's valuable off and on throughout the year, especially when we have such a a valuable focal point to return again and again and to get as much as we possibly can out of it. And so a couple of Sunday mornings ago, we looked at our theme through the eyes of Peter in John chapter 21. And last Sunday morning, we opened to 1 Peter 1 and began looking at our theme through the pen of this man who walked with the Lord. And I'd love just to continue to serve in many ways as a voice for him this evening. And so we want to begin by reading 1 Peter chapter 2, if you will read it right along with me this evening. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When... Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. In his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We started this journey in Peter's first letter by noticing Three really important framing phrases. We have it as 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God, our creator, had a plan from the very beginning. In the sanctification of the Spirit. When we participate in God's Plan and we set aside our wills and exalt the will of God and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We have a king. 
He is the anointed one. He walked among us for a little while and he died. And, and Peter wants to make sure throughout this letter that we, will, we know why he died. But most of all, he wants us to remember that our king didn't stay in the grave. He came out of the grave and he reigns at the right hand of God in heaven. And anybody, by the sprinkling of the blood of God's own Son, can be forgiven of their sins. By the Spirit of God, anyone can have their life transformed. As a kind of bookend to chapter 1, we heard at the end of verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, is the first word that we have in chapter 2 and verse 1. And, and I'd love to look at this chapter with you through three basic headings. This is the good news that was preached to you and that, that good news has implications. He'll talk to us in what we have as verses 1 through 8 about the so, so what about this good news? From there, he will remind us who we are. You are. This is the good news that was preached to you. And so now you need to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. And before he is done in chapter 3, he will remind us to this you have been called. So, you are... And to this you have been called. What is the so what of the good news? If I decide to answer the call according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens next? In 1 Peter chapter 2, it sure does seem like he is rooting this first section of what we have as a second chapter as a reminder. Haven't you tasted that the Lord is good? The Lord who had a plan even before he said, let there be light. The Lord who hasn't given up on anyone. Who is willing to change, cleanse transform, put to work anyone. Haven't you tasted that the Lord is good? And sometimes in order to understand just how good something is, we've got to be reminded of what really doesn't taste good. And so he says in chapter 2 and verse 1, listen, so... What are the implications of this is the good news that was preached to you? So, put away all malice. You have a God-given heart and it's easy at times for that heart to be full of ill will, bitterness, hatred, toward other people created in God's image. But that is not God's will for your life. Put malice away. 
Haven't you tasted that the Lord is good in always telling you the truth? And it's easy at times to use your God-given tongue in ways that are not true. So, this is the good news that was preached to you about God. Put away all deceit. Not just with your mouth, but your very manner of life. Don't live a two-faced kind of life. Don't live one way among one group of people and another way around a, a different group of people. Absolutely recognize who it is that you're around. Respect the consciences, the sensibilities, the level of maturity of people around you. But you be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't live like a follower of Jesus on Sunday and a child of the devil on Monday. Put away all hypocrisy, all envy, your hope, your identity, your sense of satisfaction is not rooted in what you have. It's rooted in whose you are. He is Mine. Haven't you tasted that the Lord is good? Why would you allow shallow, temporary, largely empty stuff to overshadow the fact that He is yours? Put away all of this stuff. Malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, slander. Your tongue belongs to Him. We've spent enough of our time using our God-given oxygen to tear people created in God's image down. And honestly, if we're really open about it and really think about it, how do those things taste? I mean, really, has anybody ever spent a day a week, a month, a year, an entire season of life with their mouths, their minds, their hearts full of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander and come away from that feeling good, feeling better, feeling like, you know what, this is the good life. This is what just really fills me up and leaves me satisfied. No, this stuff is like maybe some of those quick hits of sugar that some of us took out of our children's trick-or-treat bags or, or, or little bins and uh, you know you're, you're hungry and, and you've got a, a particular kind of craving and so you take that and in the moment it tastes really good but you get over that pretty quickly, right? How much more this sort of filth, this does not taste good. But you know who does taste good? Haven't you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And so doesn't it make sense that he would say, let's put those things away and let's work on developing a craving for the spiritual nourishment that will help us grow up into salvation. After all, 
Peter heard Jesus probably on more than one occasion say in what we have, for instance, as Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Not for revenge. Not for giving somebody what I really think they have coming to them. Not for, well, I'm going to do everything that I can to shame them and really give them what I think they deserve. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. One path promises and it lies to us. It leaves us empty. It leaves us in the predicament that the entire world is in. Biting and devouring, being devoured by one another. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. And so the Holy Spirit of God leads Peter to say, Everybody knows what it is to hear a newborn baby that is hungry. And that hunger trumps everything else. That, that hunger, you're not going to distract that newborn infant from that hunger. You're not going to give that newborn any amount of money that will somehow pacify that hunger. You're not going to offer a promotion to that newborn and get their mind off of that hunger. No, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That's what's going to help you grow. You hear what Peter is telling disciples then and even this very evening. God had a plan. The Spirit can transform anybody's life. We have a king. Let's follow him. And that following is going to, if we're going to do that long term, it's going to involve the fuel, the spiritual fuel that we have. Put this junk away, develop that craving for what really matters and keep coming back to Jesus over and over again for more and more. As you come to Him, He says in chapter 2 and verse 4, your decision to follow Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time affirmation. You keep coming to Him over and over again for more and more. We gather together on days like this, the Lord's Day, to encourage each other, to stir one another up to love and good works, to remind ourselves where the real satisfaction is. But Peter says, listen, this is a... This is a way of life. Keep coming to Him. And as you come to Him, you need to remember. Remember, verse 8, that He was rejected. He was stumbled over by those who chose to disobey the Word. If I choose not to follow Him, I cannot leave him behind 
and be unimpeded. Just do my thing to my heart's content successfully for the rest of my life and beyond. Those who choose to disobey Him stumble over Him. So let's not be like those who rejected Him. No, let's never forget that what matters most is how God sees things. How God sees you. How God sees His one and only Son. In the sight of God, our King is living. Chapter 2, verse 4, He is chosen. He is precious. In fact, as Peter reaches back to Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8, he wants us to clearly see this stands in Scripture. God told us this and has preserved it for centuries. Jesus is the very cornerstone of everything that God has been building all along. It started in Zion. It started in the city of Jerusalem. It started on the the, the very mountain on which the The presence of God was promised to dwell as long as His people would listen to Him. But even the builders among Israel rejected God's Son. They stumbled over God's Son. Remember that. If you follow Jesus, you're not going to always be if very often ever going with the flow of everybody around you. You're going to stand out. You're going to be distinctive. You're not going to be fueled up by malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. That's not what is going to thrill your heart. That's not what you're going to spend your time on. You're going to be going against the flow. But listen, remember, this was the path of our king. Never forget, in God's sight, this was it. This was the way. This is what God is building and realize. According to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. This is the good news that was preached to you. So, whoever believes in Him is not going to be put to shame. Maybe in this life for a little while we'll, we'll experience shame. But never forget what matters most is how God sees. How God saw him, how God sees you. And if God looks at you and says, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. Remember last week from 1 Peter 1, that is my heir. I am guarding in heaven an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled. I am keeping this inheritance in heaven for that child. What can any other human being, 
What can any governor, any emperor do to you to threaten that hope that you have in God? For a little while, you may experience shame because you stand out as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But if you believe in Him, you're not going to be put to shame for eternity. You will be fashioned into, read it with me, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, living stones. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house. This is God's building project. To be a holy priesthood. You're a part of His worshipers. You offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the good news that was preached to you. So what? That's verses 1 through 8. Verses 9 and 20. He's just told us something a little bit about who we are in Christ. And undoubtedly there are some who they've heard this for the first time. And I don't think I'm qualified for that. I don't even know how to fit that job description. And so let's, Peter says, talk a little bit about who you are. Now, not who you will be eventually, not who you hope to be, I want to talk to you about who you are right now. You are God's people. I am His. We are His so important for us to understand that and its implications. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen race. And very evidently, there were then, there are today among God's people a wide array of physical Genealogical, genetic backgrounds, variances. We, we are from all different kinds of people groups all over the world. But remember, what matters most is how God sees you. You are God's people. You're a chosen race. You're a part of a royal priesthood. You're a part of a holy nation, a people for His own possession. I am His. We are proclaimers of His excellency. And so I don't know what you have on the calendar this week. Some of you will be at home. Some of you will be outside of the home. Some of you will be in town. Some of you will be traveling out of town. Some of you have your dream job. Some of you are working through something that is not your dream job. But whatever you are, working or retired, in school, or living full on this adult working life above and beyond everything else. Let's, let's allow God to tell us who we are. We are those who fuel up on the Lord's day and sharpen our focus and then we go out into the world and we proclaim the excellencies of 
of our King. There's going to be plenty of people who spend their week complaining. Let's not waste our God-given breath complaining about things we cannot change. Let's be proclaimers of His excellencies. Let's not be those who just get a quick thrill out of grumbling But it leaves us empty and not any more satisfied. Let's be those who focus on the excellencies of our King. Let's proclaim His excellencies to each other in our homes, in the community, in our workplaces, in our schools. Someone asks you what you did this weekend. Why not Proclaim the excellencies of your king. For a little while, he circles back. That's going to make you stand out. But you're only in this role for a precious little while. Right now, you're, you're, you're a sojourner. Right now, you are not at home. You are an exile. But you know what you are above wherever you live, whatever you do for a living. Above all, you are a servant of God. Chapter 2 and verse 16. And so, whatever you do, Whomever you are, the Holy Spirit leads Peter to say, I urge you. Let's listen to what he says. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. He has talked gloriously about God's grace, His mercy, His amazing plan, the fact that He can change anybody's life. But it's not either or, a God of grace or a a God of telling me all the things I have to stay away from. It's, It's both and. This is a God of amazing grace. So stay away from things that dishonor Him. We heard last Sunday in 1 Peter 1, passions of our our former ignorance, when we were living as if we are our own, but no more. I am His. We are His. And so there are all sorts of people around us who will dive in headlong to the passions of the flesh this week. Stay away from those things. Keep your conduct honorable. Chapter 2 and verse 12. You are are surrounded, he says, by unbelievers. But you are children of an honorable God. Citizens of an honorable God. Kingdom. And so, whatever you do for a living, whatever your station of life, you keep your conduct honorable. You be subject for the Lord's sake to every 
institution. And so he talks about masters. Masters who are unjust. Masters who are ignorant of God's great will for the world. Masters who are only determined to use people created in God's image like a commodity. Servant, keep your conduct honorable. He talks about governors. And if you know anything about the world in which this man lived, you know that governors, you know that emperors, he mentions emperors twice, were so often men of ignorant foolishness. What's he called disciples to do? The goal he sets before us, whomever you are, Servant, master, citizen, exile, subject, ruler, whomever you are. Look at the goal in chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 15. For this is the will of God. That by doing good. Whomever you are, whatever foolish ignorance you are surrounded by, however other people treat you, you do the next right thing as defined by your king. You do good. And by doing good, you can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God. Live as people who are free, he calls us. We are free in Christ. We know who our king is and we can't change the foolish ignorance that is all around us. But no matter who you are, no matter what you experience, you remember who you are. You are servants of God. You honor Everyone. You see that in chapter 2, verse 17? In the way that you use your mouth, honor everyone. In the way that you act and react and interact, honor everyone. That is not the sort of landscape in which we live. That is not the sort of stuff that fills social media feeds. That is not the sort of stuff that will be flying around conversations this week, as Roger reminded us this morning. But these are the implications of the good news. Remember who you are. Honor everyone. What if the people around me aren't living Honorably, 1 Peter 2, verse 19, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. To this, you've been called. Verses 21 through 25. The Christ who gave his life for you wants you to follow in his footsteps. Grace embodied is calling you to use your body in gracious ways. Follow him. And the amazing thing is, if we will take him at his word, this is the path to healing. How many billions, trillions of dollars are spent in a search for healing? Healing what's broken on the inside. Healing what's frustrated on the inside, feeling, healing what is boiling over and spilling out and destroying relationships and scarring the next generation of people. How many people will desperately be looking for healing this week in malice and envy and hypocrisy and slander, dishonorable actions? dishonorable language how many people will buy the lie that if i just give in to fleshly passions if i just sleep with whoever i want to sleep with or eat whatever i want to eat or drink whatever i want to drink or inject whatever i want to inject that will somehow make it better that'll make the pain and the brokenness and the frustration go away and for two thousand years This letter has contained the path. You want to heal? You want to heal what only God can heal? You've got to die to sin. Sin is not the answer. You've got to walk in the footsteps of your Savior. You've got to live to righteousness. And if you'll do that, the great physician can heal you. The great physician can make you a part of his people. We heard it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now, now you are God's people. You're able to say, I am his, and he is mine. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Perhaps there's someone right here in this room this evening that is tired of listening to the wisdom of this world. And ready to acknowledge that God has known better than me all along. And willing to ask, what can I do? I, 
I want that healing. I want to be a part of God's people. I, I desperately need his mercy. Realize this is the man who took the lead in Acts chapter 2, very first gospel sermon, when people asked that question, and he told them exactly what he's telling all generations everywhere, even this evening through this letter. Repent. Turn away from sin. Be baptized in the name of this King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for you. And you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise he proclaimed 2,000 years ago is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God is calling this evening. I hope it is abundantly clear what God wants for you this evening. And if we can help you in responding to him, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together.